Hello, and thank you for joining us. I am your host, soulful business and leadership coach, Jeffrey Biesecker. One of the key ways to become a more effective entrepreneur or business leader, an even better human being, is by avoiding the traps of silo thinking and mentality. In order to develop successful and effective relationships, it's crucial that we communicate to people their worth, value, and potential so that they see themselves for their contributions and the blessings they truly are. How we align with others determines how life around us will be. We are at our best when everyone is aligned and within synchronous We can accomplish this when we are driven by sharing and reaching for singularity, working as one. But it's only when we can put ourselves in the other person's shoes that we create our greatest sense of unity with others. Today we are sharing a discussion with Austin, Texas-based leadership and empowerment coach, Dr. Benjamin Ritter, founder of Live For Yourself Consulting, exploring how you can eliminate the silo mentalities in your life that are holding you back from forming more effective relationships. Join us to learn more about overcoming this self-limiting mindset on this episode of The Light Inside. Have you heard of Saqqara Metabolism Super Powder? Because our friends at Saqqara are providing life-changing nutrition, allowing you to nourish your body exactly the way you want. Here's the science behind why Metabolic Super Powder is such an important part of maintaining your sustainable health. Many of us may not know the important role our metabolism plays and why maintaining a healthy balance is so important. Metabolism is the multi-step chemical process allowing our bodies to convert food into sustainable energy. In short, it creates the fuel that drives our bodies. Factors like genetics, age, sex, body composition, height, weight, diet, activity, and hormone balance determine your basal metabolism, which is the energy expenditure needed to sustain life. Three signs your metabolism is slowing include bloating and puffiness, unexpected and stubborn weight gain, especially in the midsection, as well as fatigue, low energy, brain fog, and anxiety. This Sakura Life bestseller fires up your metabolism, stabilizes blood sugar, eliminates bloat, and decreases puffiness. The perfect remedy for metabolic slowdown caused by age, diet, and stress. Restore a healthy metabolism to experience weight loss, improved mental clarity, and sustained energy. And Sakura has a naturally rich, low-sugar chocolate flavor, perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coconut water or nut milk. And after using Sakara for a month, I can't imagine balancing my metabolism any other way. So if you're looking for functional foods backed by science and guided by spirit, Sakara was created by a scientifically backed board of medically sound doctors. You can find out more about Sakara and their amazing line of life-changing nutrition by visiting Sakara.com. That's S-A-K-A. RA.com to find out more and you can receive 20% off your first order by using the simple code REVUP20. So try Sakara and light your inner fire. 
We dive into this conversation with Dr. Benjamin Ritter, exploring the self-limiting potential of silo mentalities and how to overcome them. Hello, Dr. Ben, and thank you for joining us. How are you today? Doing pretty good, just getting everything set up. Happy days. Fantastic. Happy days. (laughs) Well, I am stoked for this. I I like trying to find ways to plug in some common problems that we run into both in business and life that relates to how you see it in your program. Share with our listening community how your experiences at Live Your Life Consulting have translated into your understanding of how silo mentalities limit our potential to interact and build effective relationships. I work with three main buckets of clients. I have the VPs, professionals, executives that want to pivot and launch a business. There's the ones that want to pivot industries, but not sure how and then the other ones that are trying to navigate their current space and be happier at work but also become better leaders and that does relate to purpose but a lot of it's just not really purpose it's more like clarity of desires clarity of self clarity of goals prior to that i spent a lot of time working with different models of managing to motivate did a lot of research in terms of employee satisfaction and such those are areas that I speak to a lot because a lot of times the leaders that are struggling with anything related to being a leader tends to relate to also them having internal struggles. So super happy to have the conversation about silo leadership. Yeah, I like to talk about self-leadership and the development of the internal leader and less about, I don't actually use the word purpose a lot, to be honest. I used to, when I, when I first started out, like my whole spiel was the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten was to find your purpose. It was debilitating. It led me down to where I am today because I it completely derailed my life. So I don't, I don't actually like that advice at all. In a way, it framed that simply and that without context. Let's talk about that experience a little bit. In what context did that happen? Yeah, more so just when I was younger, you have this idea of you have to choose what you want to do. (laughs) And then what you choose to do defines you. You have to surround yourself with that. You have to live intentionally towards that to be able to accomplish it. But there was no actual learning of, well, how do you actually ensure that that's what you should do? How do you ensure that that aligns to you? And hey, by the way, like achievement. So as I was talking about it, there wasn't an instruction manual when someone said, find your purpose and dedicate your life to it. So I basically, I wanted to become a professional soccer player. That's how I defined who I was. And so I, I only thing I would watch on TV would be soccer. The only thing I would read would be about soccer. I would eat a certain way for soccer and work out a certain way. I would not hang out with certain people. I would judge people because of their own like lack of purpose or lack of dedication. Really just became a person I didn't like. And then when it didn't work out, like despite the fact that I was holding my levels of self-confidence and self-image based on my success as a soccer player, which is also very uh, negative and a vicious cycle. When it didn't work out, I didn't know who I was. I had no definition of self. I had no friends. I didn't know what I was interested in, what I cared about. And it was a really tough time. And I mean, I developed some mental health issues because of my my lack of self-confidence and self-image concerns. So it was like without the proper definition of what find your purpose really should mean or how you find your purpose and how you create balance in your life, you could end up really hurting yourself. And so basically my whole idea that came from those experiences was your purpose is a development of who you are. It came from you. It's a development of your thoughts, your beliefs, your understanding of who you are. It cannot be greater than you. You should not hold yourself accountable to something that you developed. So at any given point in time, you are always greater than any purpose you can create, which then can equate to you're greater than your emotions, you're greater than your beliefs, you're greater than your thoughts. And so this whole concept of living for yourself, 
like really shine through that. Awesome. Yeah. And I can relate to that so well because I have been one of these people where it seems like on regular cycles throughout my life and my career, I'm changing course about face. I went from one type of career to another type of career to another type of career. And I don't feel like I did it in any kind of lackadaisical way. I reached a point in my life where a change in evolution was necessary and I jumped. So often we let that jump become scary as hell. That certainty of knowing what you're meant for turns into the choice to perceive it as struggle and challenge rather than embracing change and making a choice to go for it. It's just a simple choice. Yeah, and on the other hand, I don't think it's as important to know what you're meant for. You should know what you care about. (laughs) And I think the application of what you care about, right? And, And like the application of what you care about should just be fun and enjoyable and shouldn't have this attachment of, Am I going to do it? Am I going to be able to succeed in this? So when I'm working with clients a lot, we have this discussion and it's kind of like hard for them to grapple. It's like, it doesn't matter if you actually accomplish this one goal, get that one job, make this one business successful, because they're all supposed to be an application of your just what you care about, your values. And you can do that in an infinite amount of ways. And so how do we let go of our attachment and our ego to what we create and more so reflect on why am I doing this? Why does this matter to me? And how can I actually enjoy this present moment in time while living intentionally and honoring my true self in a way of like, okay, this is fun. This is fulfilling. This is challenging. We look at that angle and I'm going to tie this in. I think this is a great point. That notion of a silo mentality, anywhere where we get caught within those vertical walls of thinking, anything that narrows our focus that allows us to see a bigger picture. In business, we look at it as a silo mentality within departments, within our communication, within our interaction with our teams and others. Yeah, it's this idea of kind of being caught up in the work or being caught up in a belief and not understanding that there are these underlying important goals or purposes, everything that we do and this interconnectedness. When it comes to siloed leadership and you you ask yourself, why am I protecting this? Or why am I not including other people? Or how do I take a step back and really look at the bigger picture and not just the the path that I'm on myself. I want to get more technical, but I'm trying to keep it a little ambiguous at the moment. (laughs) No, I think it's great. I think it's great because the more relatable it is, the more we are able to actually assimilate that because that is one of the key things. How do we relate that to others and how are we relating to others? So often we get caught in that trap of we have to overcomplicate it in our minds instead of just letting it go and following the flow of things. There's this like conflict between wanting to say, what are your processes? What is your structure? And then also, well, how do you also allow for creativity and innovation and potentially like cross departmental collaboration in a way that you're getting value diversity You're really finding the strengths within the people around you and getting out of just this, like, this is the way we have to do things. We often engage in that same kind of mentality in our personal lives, what we deem the everyday living. One of the keys to becoming more effective as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, a better human being is by avoiding those traps of that type of thinking and mentality, you know, where we're limited in those things. What are some of the key things you see that would create that silo mentality? What comes into play? Well, I think ego is a big one. 
It's this idea of the way we're doing things is the way we have to do things. I think potentially fear, fear and this idea that people are out to get me. It's also just a lack of uh, desire for discomfort. A lot of times we're very comfortable with how we do things as well. And potentially a lack of belief and trust in the people around you and other teams. I think we can keep going, but it sounds like there's a lot of negative characteristics that are related to siloed leadership. And I think on the other hand, those you could say, well, I want to get things done fast or I know who to trust. Yeah. Every time maybe I gave them an opportunity and they failed. Yeah. So it's like it's there are some some rebuttals to some of the things that we're talking about in terms of how do you de-silo leadership and why is it important? I think taking this a step back, it's so what is the purpose of leadership? And from my perspective, leadership is not telling people what to do. It's not being responsible for what people do. It's creating an environment that encourages them to do the work. It motivates them. When we look at siloed leadership, we may be limiting the strengths of the people around us and limiting our output based on a lot of beliefs that we just mentioned in terms of like, I want you to go fast or I don't trust this person or this isn't how we've done things or I'm really comfortable with the way that we do things. And I think, you know, all of a sudden you're like, well, you just don't be siloed. It's more so like, well, what if we take parts of what we do and try to de-silo them, try to create some more cross collaboration, try to let go of the processes and structure and look for more inventive ways to do the work. And also to, to allow our associates or employees or peers to bring more to the table, to show up, like give them that opportunity. And as a leader, if you're siloed, you're actually not giving the people around you the best opportunity to grow and to show up in that way. Yeah, I think it's so important to maintain mm-hmm. that sense of connectedness and objectivity toward it. In organizations, specifically taking a step back and asking yourself, does everyone know what they should know? Is everyone involved that should be involved? Or who actually will become impacted by this decision and by this information? Why are they not at the table? If you start doing that, you'll find that other departments will start doing that for you as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you can look at your personal life and say, too, like, if I'm making this decision for myself, who's potentially impacted by it? Who might I want to bring to the table? Who might I want to share something with? Because when you do that, too, you're bringing people along, you're solidifying the relationship even more because you're showing that you care and you're giving them the opportunity to solidify the relationship more. And again, to show up, we need to give the people around us in our personal and professional lives, especially as leaders, the opportunity to show up. You know, we're looking at such a sense of division and separation. It's that notion of competition that often comes into play rather than collaboration. You know, that us versus them mentality can be so destructive and limiting in every area of our lives. How do you feel we take those ideas and look to form better cultures, look to form better communities, better connection, and better communication with others. Expand on that for me. Do you feel we have a tendency in our relationships, both in business and personal, to struggle with perspectives and those differences in who we are? We have those differences in our views, those differences in how we communicate, anything that is a dividing factor in recognizing who somebody is. 
it's tough to know who somebody is until you explore who you are and your own judgments, judgments specifically. One of my greatest growth epiphanies in the past couple of years was exploring my judgments, listing them all out, asking myself where they came from, why they were there and how they're impacting my relationships and leadership now. It's tough because you want to say like, drop all your judgments, drop all your limiting beliefs. But some of them can be helpful, right? To help you kind of speed along in the process of some things. But a lot of times they could be really holding you back. And so I would highly recommend as a leader before you can lead others to figure out how you're leading yourself and what beliefs are leading you each and every single day, especially in your work environment. What do you think you have to do at work? What values do you think are important? Because whatever those are, those are causing you to act a certain way with the people around you. I think collaboration is a key in generating that sense of connection. How do you feel we can connect with others in a truly meaningful way. You know, what gives us a sense of relationship to another? I always like to equate professional relationships to just personal relationships. So what builds trust in your personal relationships? What brings two people close together? What makes it so if you don't see someone for five years, you still feel like you're connected with them? And to use those same techniques in building professional relationships. So are you sharing experiences together? Are you sharing adversity together? Are you getting a little bit more vulnerable with each other? Are you talking about more like your values and what's at your core? And are you giving them the attention? Are you listening actively? And are you being basically human. And so what I, what I like to teach leaders is the, the team model of managing to motivate, which is basically a set of questions and a conversation that you can have with your employees to understand what motivates them, what engages them, but in a way that helps build also a more trusting relationship uh, because trust is the cornerstone. If you don't have trust, you will not build a solid relationship. Yes. What do you think about, yeah, what do you think about that? So true. We look at that element of trust being one of our core elements of how effectively we connect and communicate with others. So often we just look at communication as that talking at rather than engaging with. That trust is a key element. So much of that is uncommunicated verbally. Looking at that, we need to lead ourselves towards finding things that create that better flow and universal listening with each other. Universal listening being totally engaged with somebody. Those things like the eye contact, actively listening, repeating back what somebody's saying so you recognize exactly what their point is and then giving that space to consider. Mm -hmm. I feel that's so key to, to just step back and give space to consider because so often we look to reach for, I have to validate and approve. Mm -hmm. I have to be correct in what I present instead of listening and saying, where is the bigger meaning? A few things come to mind. And one, like there's just some questions that I like to ask leaders. Like when was the last time someone said something to you and you paused for five seconds before answering? When was the last time someone said something to you and you asked them to tell you more for clarification? Or when was the last time you mirrored back what they said and just let it sit? And so it's, you know, so often leaders think they have to solve problems when a great style of leadership is to coach and to help others solve their own problems. That just increases engagement, allows them to grow themselves. And to bring this back to this idea of trust, I think very often leaders have a specific communication style, which is what's going on? What have you gotten done? This is what we need to do. Done. <laughs> Think about like parenting. If you yell your child's name out very loudly, almost like they're in trouble every time 
they are in trouble, then they'll start anchoring that loud voice of their maybe full name with, oh no, I'm in trouble. So if you're a leader and all you do is talk to your employees when you need to get something done or when you need to figure out what they're working on, then are they really going to look forward to having a conversation with you as a leader? Is that building trust? So how do you start almost, and I'd even say, at least in the beginning, counting the amount of times that you maybe recognize them or appreciate them or ask them just a general personal question to how much you're actually telling them what to do or asking them what they're doing or telling them of a problem. Very often, leaders have a much higher rate of this is the problem, this is what you need to do than the other type, other style of just communication. So of course that you're not going to have a really great personal humanistic relationship with your employees. Um, and so if you want to de-silo things and get their buy-in when it comes to restructuring some of your work processes, it's going to be a lot easier if you have that level of trust in it. <laughs> and if you have a different style of communication that focuses on appreciation, recognition, and that that personal relationship. I think it's so crucial. So often as leaders, we focus on the need to drive. Sometimes we don't just sit back and enjoy the ride. You know, I think that seems so counterproductive to the way most of us and most of society has been funneled to believe. Leader means drive. Leader means don't quit. Leader means don't give up. There are some truisms in balancing that, but sometimes we just have to simply sit back and be open. I like how that rhymes, by the way. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that was planned or not, but that was awesome. <laughs> I know, I was just riffing on that one, man. <laughs> that was good. You should make that, make that into a t-shirt, man. Oh, Fabulous Ideas 101. I'm going to put that one on the list. <laughs> That'd be a good t-shirt. Yeah, I'd, I'd buy that. I'd buy that for sure. Leaders don't drive, they ride. <laughs> That's awesome. I like it. It's like, it could be like a NASCAR advertisement too. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, so, and like to that point, though, what I love is is this idea of like, how do you make a decision as a leader? So you have a problem, you have a question, you need to make a decision. What do you normally do? What is your process? Ask yourself, like, look at your past five to 10 decisions. Say, how have I made these decisions in my life? Have I included all parties? Or have I been the one driving and said, this is what we are doing, this is the decision. So are you riding or are you driving? I'm using it now, like, <laughs> I host a ton of events and when they were in person, one of my favorite ones to host was on decision making. And we'd spend like an hour and a half on exploring how individuals make decisions like you, how you make decisions. Because I promise you, if you take a look at your most recent decisions, there are underlying themes there. And so often in siloed leadership, decision-making is very individualistic and very process-based in terms of like you're going through the same steps each time. And it's very much you and that maybe one or two parties potentially. There's so much opportunity in deconstructing that a little bit, looking to bring in some other people. That brings to mind that great Stephen Covey quote, seek first to understand, then to be understood. That's taking a back seat. That's allowing that space to let others drive, to let others lead and rise above. To find their light inside. Yes. And when you screw that up, yeah. you run it into the ditch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a roll today. <laughs> Yeah. And then, yeah, someone might say, I don't want to be part of this ride anymore. It may get a flat tire and then you have, yeah. And then you got to wait for AAA. 
I'm just throwing out every every visualization right now. Yeah, we're on the cliches, but hey, those are all part and parcel for things we have to consider to maintain balance in life. I was leading a workshop a year ago, and it's a room full of like about sixty leaders, senior leaders, and after going through some of the similar type of conversation, but actually giving them some process and conversation points. One of them who actually was super engaged and really liking, I think the workshop, because I think the comment, if this was comment was coming from someone that was not engaged, it would be very different. I'd be, I would interpret it differently. But someone that was really engaged, really liking the material was like, wait, like this is kind of touchy feely. Like this is, <laughs> this is not the leadership that I know. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Because you're not, you're not working with drones. You're working with people that have feelings and you need them to do certain things. So you got to get connected to their feelings. So speaking to that point, when people feel seen, heard, and appreciated, we become more grateful to do our best work. We strive to thrive. <laughs> There's another shirt. <laughs> we seek genuine, authentic understanding when we affirm the other person. We give meaning to what they have to say and do. And so this bringing it back to this idea of being siloed. If you are siloed, I promise you there are people in your organization or on your team that are not feeling seen, that are not feeling heard, and that are thus not feeling appreciated. And so if you're trying to impact culture, that requires collaboration, that requires desiloing. Now, how to do that? <laughs> I think we've given some tips, but I, I'm not sure if you want to get into the technical aspect of things, but I think it's bringing some more self-awareness to how you're making decisions, to how you're doing the work, to the people on your team, and even asking them, who are we not including here? Who should be included? What, what have we created? What have we implemented that you might have felt like, oh, I kind of had some ideas there, or was your work impacted by some recent projects? And even creating a meeting about this, I think it would be a pretty incredible trust building and growth opportunity for teams. When we're driven by sharing, we create that singularity. We work as one. It puts us in the other person's shoes. Let's look at a little bit of some of those technical aspects. I want to pick your brain on that today. It's open. Well, let's go. So what are some of the things we can do to target what those pain points are that create that silo mentality? What are some things we can do to target the pain points that create the silo mentality? So not kind of how to deconstruct, but how to avoid creating the mentality in itself. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we mentioned a few so far, and I think we can pick them apart individually. So let's just go one by one. We have this uh, wanting to do things fast. Yes. Right. Which can be, you can say even wanting to do things right. There are times when you need to do things fast as a leader, 100%, but not all the time. And you can actually create certain processes and inclusion pretty fast. If you have that type of culture and communicate the expectations for what you're trying to create. So in terms of having to do things fast and having to do things right, I think there's this underlying belief of my team is incapable. And deconstructing that for yourself is basically wiping the slate clean, saying I'm going to go into each day anew. I'm going to drop my judgments and I'm going to try something new. And so this next project that you have that you feel needs to get done immediately and that you know that maybe you are really great at it and other people might not be so great at it, try to incorporate 
responsible parties. Who's responsible? Who can be accountable? And try something new. Just do it on like a pilot basis to see what could be created from that and to see if you can relabel the people that you work with. So often we look in that hiring process to begin with to fit a mold. You know, we look to fit a mold with our expectation of an employee rather than being open to authentic gift and talent. Rather than being in a space where we allow that person to come in as a creative mind to become what they need to be. A lot of times we don't let them. Yeah. And we don't, I wouldn't say lead them. I, I mean, sort of lead them, coach them towards developing, towards, towards developing, towards the work that they enjoy, maybe developing the strengths that they have. Not focusing on the areas of improvement, but more so avoiding the areas of improvement and focusing on their strengths. <laughs> so often we don't do that. So often we have like a job description or certain work that needs to get done and we just give it to someone instead of really working with the employee to figure out what would be best for them and what would be best for the organization and for the department. So even, I guess, before even attacking these, these character traits that could lead to being siloed, I'd ask yourself to do an audit of the work that's getting done around you. And I think the first question is, does this work need to get done? <laughs> Who's actually using it? What are the outcomes? And then if there is work that needs to get done, is there a faster way or a better way or a way to de-silo this work in a way that includes all parties? But then also, who loves to do this work? Can we redistribute it? Can we alter it? And who's doing this work that doesn't like doing this work? And can we provide more recognition or support? I think that needs to happen first before we potentially start. Well, I guess, I mean, there are a lot of traits that could prevent us from doing that. So we can talk about those traits. Like what's preventing you from wanting to do that? What are your thoughts there? So often, I think, backing up a few steps, when we look at that notion of exploring the traits of another and relaying that to what we deem the job description, we've already created that vertical silo to hold somebody within those bounds. We set that tone from the get-go. Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated by that. How can you deconstruct that in hiring? I don't know that I have an immediate answer to it on the spot right now, but it's one of those things I'm constantly looking to deconstruct myself in any leadership role, in any interaction with others. How do we remove that level of expectation to allow somebody to truly step into who they're meant to be, what their flow is, what their purpose is, what their vision is? where their gifts truly lie. It's such a balance as a leader though, because if you have an employee, a new hire that comes in and you don't provide some level of direction and goals and duties, then they will feel lost and they might end up feeling stuck. And so that was actually, yeah. it's negative, right? It, it will decrease engagement and it could really hurt their adoption into your organization and their work. So I think it's partially, it's figuring out what the goals were for that role and then going through some of the work that normally gets done, but then also being like, well, where are your strengths? Do you feel like this is something that you like to do? Do you feel a different way of potentially doing this? And even asking people that used to work with that employee was this process important? Did you have a different idea of how this process could be changed? I think new employees give organizations and departments and leaders an ample opportunity to evolve. And so often we don't, we don't do that. So true. Here's a thought in a moment. This just come to me. So often we hire and wait until there's a breakdown. 
why not if we flip that and do some of that coaching up front? That would be to me one of the easiest ways to solve that is do some of that coaching up front. We do it when we get a jam with our personal direction. We seek to hire coaches. Why are we not evolving that more within our workplaces where we bring that in and have that coaching mentality right up front? I think so often we're trying to get the new hires to learn about the organization, to learn about their role. But how much time are we spending learning about the new hires and helping them adapt the role to best fit? Yes. It's because then when they don't perform or they actually are like, why am I doing this six months or a year down the road? You've kind of lost out on the opportunity <laughs> to build that trust and to build this culture of what you know we're talking about of collaboration and being de-siloed. You know, to me, it goes back to that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Why do we keep going back and doing that where we start a business, we spend time, hopefully, to create the successful business, understanding the business, learning, putting the plan together, but we don't quite take that same approach when we're interacting within building teams, when we're hiring we don't do our research and investment, our due diligence on our people. A belief that I hear a lot yes. because of this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. It's I'm too busy and that is more work. <laughs> and for me personally, it's no, it's not more work. You're just changing how you communicate and how you keep track of your employees. It does take more mental attention, but it, it should actually free up work for you in the long run. What do you feel about that? There again, that's the mindset zinger. Is it more work or are we investing for success? It's a simple, you know, we speak of mindset day in, day out, 24-7. That is the most simple mindset shift anybody in business could ever, ever make. Am I doing more work or am I just stepping out of my damn way and investing in myself, investing in what I believe in, investing in the vision, investing in the people? To me, that's it. <laughs> yes. I mean, so often I worked in healthcare, I worked in government, I worked in some slow moving bureaucratic industries. And a lot of times the people that get promoted were maybe frontline employees became managers, became directors, became executives. And so they've never been properly trained, I think, on this style of leadership that we're discussing. And they've always been very transactional employees, schedules, reports, do this, directive, you know, authoritarian. And so it's this huge gap in ensuring that leadership skills are actually taught to the people that we're putting in leadership positions because it isn't more work. It actually is less stressful to have this type of mindset because you you realize that it's not about you doing the work or getting the work done. It's about really creating an environment for the employees to want to get the work done. When I became an executive for a little <laughs> bit, it was funny because people a little bit higher up than me, I'd be like, what do you do all day? You literally just sit in meetings and you're thinking, like, <laughs> I'm sitting here doing all the grunt work. And it's funny, you know, you get to a higher level position and if you're still doing this grunt work and you're not really evolving and coaching the people around you, I would be flat out to say you're not being a leader. Yeah, I was like, work smarter. Like, no, it's not smarter. Work for your people. Don't work through your people. And we're coming up with so many slogans today. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to make t-shirts. I'm making t-shirts. 
But you can work harder and work harder until you break. And eventually you're going to break. Don't work harder. Work better. Simply work better. And that type of leader we were talking about, especially leaders that this is tough with, you will feel uncomfortable and this will feel wrong. And you'll actually probably ask yourself, I need to be doing more right now. I need to be doing more work. But it's redefining what work is as a leader. And it is that communication. It is building the relationships. It is figuring out how to build greater trust in, throughout your department or organization. And that takes you literally not doing work, thinking about your people and thinking about how you make decisions and spending a, a little bit of time each day. I'd even say schedule block it out to say, where are we going right now? Why are we going this direction? Who's part of this journey with us? Who needs to be included in this journey with us? How am I directing this work or how am I leading this organization to help other people get there with us? <laughs> It's so much like you said about that transactional experience. So often that is a negative balance sheet transaction for us and for the organization. So often we're subtracting rather than being an additive force. That's basic math. If you take and take, there's nothing left to give. I think when leaders hear balance and happiness, the majority of them think about, did you take a vacation? Did you take a day off? Did you, you do have hobbies? <laughs> and this separation from work and life, it's not the right mentality and mindset. It's how are you finding balance within your job? How are you bringing yourself to work? How are you building relationships at work? How are you not feeling like the entire weight of the, the organization is on your shoulders? Because that pressure isn't just going to stay at work, right? It comes home with you. It doesn't matter how many vacations you take. So are you actually creating a job? Because it is a job that actually works for you, that in harmony with yourself. We look at that. And so often we look at how much we invest time, you know, how hard do I work? How hard do I hustle as a badge of courage, as a badge of accomplishment? But so often it becomes the point, that straw that breaks the camel's back, that allows us to truly be successful, to truly lead, and to find true balance and happiness in things. We never hear about finding balance and happiness in business, and when we do, we poo-poo it away. That's the woo-woo. What is wrong with finding balance and happiness? From that, everything else flows. And so then think about the people you work with. What do they look like they're feeling each and every day? And are you adding to that stress or subtracting from it? And that isn't something you're just going to figure out instantaneously. It takes thought. And again, it's this idea of how do you put greater thought and intention into how you lead each and every day so that you are adding value to others, not just to your organization or to your KPIs and your goals. You know, there's such great truth in that. Such great truth. We ventured up and now it's work-life balance. Oh, we're striving for work-life balance. There's only one life and that's the life we live. And if anything is out of balance in that, none of it becomes successful. It's not work to live. It's not work-life to balance. It's simply find balance in all that you do in order to live. 
in order to succeed. You were talking earlier about this idea that you're greater than any purpose you could create. And so it's mainly that we are in control of what we decide, what we commit to, how we feel all the time, how we react to our emotions. So it's just this concept of that the most important leader is the one that lives inside you. I would love to see a world where people felt that they had control over their professional and personal lives and were able to make decisions that they wanted to make. So often I start working with clients because they want to do something, but they don't feel like they can do it. I constantly have to remind myself that people don't feel the way I feel when it comes to leading themselves. They hold themselves back. So I would love to impact the world by creating self-leaders, people that feel that they can live true to who they are. I think we've come a long way in just establishing what some of those key ground points are that eliminate those silo mentalities, that eliminate some of those walls that hold us back in life and in our organizations. As a coach and as a mentor to others, what is the legacy you want to leave to truly affect others? I was going to say, because I think this is important, any job that you have is a job. And if you get lost in the work, you're going to get lost like the meaning is going to get lost from you. And so no matter even like the fact that the the work that I'm doing could literally be changing the world around me. And because I know that it's changed individuals. If I don't remind myself of that, I can start feeling stuck. I can start feeling like, well, what else do I want to do? Or this is not something that I want to spend my time on. And so I think it's really, really important to reiterate that no matter how meaningful your job is, you have to remind yourself of that meaning because you could potentially get lost in the day to day. That's such a great path to walk, to truly touch others. So if someone is struggling to find that sense of meaning, where can they go to connect with you and learn a little bit more? Where can they go to seek you to help guide them toward that meaning? Yeah, thank you. I'm super active on LinkedIn. Just look up Dr. Benjamin Ritter. I pop up. I post free content on YouTube as well if you want to check out some some videos about this topic and leadership and personal professional development. But if you just want to have a conversation too, go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. Multitude of ways to get in touch with me there too, to learn more about my services and just to reach out. Awesome. Go out and check that out. Stay in contact with Ben and share this wonderful light this young man has to share. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you for joining me for this today. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah, this has been uh, a light to my day for sure. Yeah, I, we're going to write these notes and, and collaborate on some of these things we've discussed. Let's throw out those t-shirts. I already put a sticker <laughs> order in, so we'll see which ones people like and we'll put them on some shirts. Right on, yeah. right on. We'll see where they gravitate. Well, thank you for sharing this conversation with me. I'm truly, truly grateful, Ben. I'm, I'm so happy to have been able to. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Let's do it again soon. Let's do it again Totally soon. down. Roy T. Bennett once said, if you want to fly, you have to give up what weighs you down. Tolstoy also shared this, true life is lived when tiny changes occur. But more importantly, we are at our greatest when we help others to fly, to find their way and reach new heights. Often our most commonly held beliefs are the very thing we cling to that hold us back. That becomes the fear which limits us from becoming who and what we might be preventing us from our greatness. When we embrace change, we become the change we so often seek. There are far better things ahead than any we leave behind. 
changes the law of life. And those that look only to the past or present are sure to miss the future. Dr. Ben and I have discussed a lot today, but we want to know what opportunities for change are you creating after today's discussion? Share what you found meaningful by tagging a friend on social media, leaving a note at the light inside, or leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Letting the world know what you truly appreciate about our program. We welcome your feedback and suggestions telling us how we can guide and improve this program specifically for you, our valued listener. Joining us on our next episode is Conflict Transformation Coach Jonathan Miller, where we will be discovering the idea why mindful communication is really just about bringing thought into our conscious awareness and how, for the most part, our communication is completely unconscious and unintentional. Learn how to become a more effective listener in order to become a conscious communicator and build loving, connected relationships on the next episode of The Light Inside.